0: Good afternoon. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is Saturday, March the 11th, 2023. And I really must say that one of the most interesting things I've found about doing these podcasts is I've had the opportunity to meet some of the most interesting people. Some of the most interesting people living outside the United States. And today is no exception. And it is my distinct honor and privilege, and frankly, I think this is going to be a lot of fun to introduce to you Gregory Smith, who many of you will know on Twitter uh, through his handle, Blog uh, and Dog. Uh, and today we're going to discuss about uh, life, his life generally, uh, very interesting, and also his perceptions on the Bittner case. So here we go. Welcome. How are you today, Greg? Very good. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me on. All right. Well, you know, I think this is great because originally, you know, we set this up to talk about FR, but all the other stuff you got going on is just so, so interesting. I I think maybe we should start with I'm going to ask you a question. Mm -hmm. So if I were going to Prague and needed a place to stay, what would you recommend? Well, as it happens, I, I
1: I own a hostel here, so I would I would highly recommend uh, my own hostel, but uh, that's obviously not a uh, an unbiased opinion. But um, I'm very proud of the place, and I and I think uh, you know uh, if you look at some of our reviews, I
0: think uh, we've been very successful at at uh, satisfying uh, a lot of people. So, well, that's recommend- great. Well, to be sure, uh, I have been to Prague, but not recently. Or I guess I guess you would call it Praha. Uh, But definitely that will be my go-to place next time I go there. But uh, so how does a guy who grew up largely in New England, I think Maine, what have you, right? How do you end up uh, all these years, so many miles away, uh, running a hostel in Praha? Uh a series of uh weird coincidences um
1: i mean first of all even when i lived in the us uh whilst i did spend some important years in maine i i've actually lived in i don't even know about probably six or seven different states at, at some point or another in addition to uh i think i've counted 19 different countries i've lived to, lived in um um north america europe one in South America, a few, uh, several in the Middle East, a couple in the Far East. Um, so, uh, I actually Prague. I actually made a very deliberate choice uh, about. Um, I was working in the Middle East. Um, there is mandatory retirement there, and of course, even if I, uh, well, even if I had wanted to, I, I, you know, you can't stay there if, if once your work permit is is done with. Um, but it's, you know, that wasn't a place I would have wanted to stay long-term anyway. Um, um, had, you know, some good experiences there, but, um, it's just not a place to, to stay long-term. And I actually made a very, um, a very structured, um, analysis of places I might possibly live, looking at things like, you know, the tax regime, the, 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 um, you know, the legal framework, uh, the climate, uh, the, you know, cost of living, et cetera, et cetera, and um, uh, Prague. Actually, the two the two places that came out on top of my analysis were Prague and Santiago, Chile. Those were the, my two finalists, and so I, I ended up here in
0: Prague. Now that's interesting. Now, why? And uh, I have been to Chile uh, more recently. than I've been to Prague actually a couple times, mm-hmm. and uh, curious why why that made your your final cut. Well, I think if you look at some of the things,
1: uh, you know, the criteria I had on the list, you know, as I said, it was things like, you know, the, the tax regime and the the legal regime and all that, The uh, climate, a very nice climate there. Very important to me was good public transportation. I've actually never been to Santiago, but based on my research, I understand it's quite good there. It's certainly quite good here. Um, I, um, I wanted, to, you know, one of the place reasons Santiago scored a little lower, I did actually decide one of the things I I wanted out of a place. I wanted four seasons. Uh, I I like having four seasons. I like having winter. Um, I I, I like some of these, you know, um, Mediterranean countries. I, I love Italy, for example, but just in terms of a place to live, I, you know, just, that's just
0: a personal preference. And how long have you been now in Prague? Coming up on seven years and, just uh,
1: recently, was approved uh, um, as a permanent. You know, application
0: for per- permanent residence was approved. Um, so that's a key milestone for me. Well, congratulations on that. Uh, I mean, how does one become a permanent resident of Prague? Well, you know, uh, you know, if you look
1: around the world, it's it's very it's interesting. Uh, most places have a very similar process. I mean, there are places, you know, like. For example, some of, a lot of the places I was living in the Middle East where, you know, they don't allow naturalization at all, but, um, you know, the the vast majority of countries do allow naturalization and most of them follow, you know, a, a fairly similar process uh, of, uh, you know, you, you, you move there, you know, could be based on, you know, ties of, of family or marriage, uh, could be based on business, you know, these, you know. Particularly now, with a lot of these countries are doing, you know, so-called golden visa or um, digital nomad visas. Um, my own, my own was a, you know, business investment uh, visa. So, by whatever mechanism you have available, you know, you 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 um, you know, come there. Uh, you, you know, you could you could come there as a uh, a work permit, um, and then after, you know. Certain, typically, after a certain number of uh, years, you can, and it's typically, you know, similar, similar t- to Czech Republic. I think most places uh, are, are are similar around, you know, around five years. Uh, if you're if you're here legally, continuously for around five years in most places, you then um, can apply for for permanent residency, and then typically again. Most places, you know, like, for example, including the US, you know, uh, if you if you come to the US on a green uh, on a sorry, if you come to the US on a work permit, after a certain number of years, you can get a green card, become a permanent resident. And then certain number of years after continuous continuously maintaining your permanent residency, you can apply for uh, a citizenship. And and, and again, most countries, it, it seems five years seems to be. You know.
0: More or less, uh, sort of a standard. Um, so, was uh, the investment in the in the hostel that you're running? Was that was that? The... No, no. It was the investment investment in the real estate?
1: Um, um. I yeah, I mean, which was much more of a passive thing. The hostel was a totally unplanned, uh, unintended thing. Um, it um, it was a place that I was basically hanging out in. Uh, and then when COVID came, and, and you know, obviously we are a heavily Tourism-dependent economy here. We, I think, Prague is the sixth most popular tourist destination in the world, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so obviously, COVID, um, you know, punched a huge hole in our economy, uh, and a lot of places were uh, struggling, including this one. And basically, it was it was about to go under, and so I. <laughs> <laughs> there was alcohol involved. Um, <laughs> uh, I was I just was talking to some people and I said, All right,
0: I, I could buy this place. And uh <laughs> the rest is history. Okay, well and you're you're happy with it. Uh
1: some days yes, most days yes, some days not so much. Uh we're we are only just now uh finally flying our way back to the you know pre COVID uh you know 2019 uh level of you know tourism and revenue and and all that and it's it's been there's parts of this that have been brutal but you know i i've you know one of my personal mottos has always been you know crisis is opportunity and um you know so when we were involuntarily shut down uh 2 years ago uh i i took the opportunity to undertake a a, a renovation top to bottom renovation and um, um know did that in line with a business strategy that um you know that decided that we were not going to try and compete on price but on quality and in fact you know one of our you know uh, marketing strategies is always to be pretty much we we try to be the most expensive hostel in prague uh we are charging as much as you know 40 euros for a, a, a night in a bunk in a dorm room which is you know a lot of places you can get a hotel room for that kind of price um, but um, you
0: know, so far so good. Well, it sounds like sort of a classic buy low sell high, mm-hmm. principle Okay, um, I mean, so you know you clearly have spent far more of your life outside the United States than inside the United States, right? About one third, two- thirds, I'd say. It's not far
1: more, but it is a bit more.
0: Yeah, see, I mean, you were, uh, you grew up largely outside the United States, you returned to the United States for high school and, and university, and then you kind of turned around and left again, right? Yeah, well, I did spend 12 years in Washington, D.C., so that was another, you know. Oh, interesting. What What were you doing there?
1: I was a photographer um, um, and actually ended up in um, concentrating on architectural photography. Uh, if you know anything about Washington in the 80s, it was a. Uh, it was a huge amount of development going on a huge amount of construction so all these you know new particularly office buildings but also some residential and other ty- government uh, buildings you know were being built and of course the architects when they would finish one of these things they want to document the project so they would hire people like me to um you know do pictures of them also doing stuff for you know some of the so-called architectural press so you know magazines like um you know, Better Homes and Gardens and A Thousand and One Decorate Home Ideas. Or um, this was thirty years ago. Now I'm trying to remember some of these some of these uh, publications. I mean, this was all before the internet, so this was all printed press. Um,
0: mm. So, so then you you came back and uh, you know you were doing various things, but I understand at some point you got involved with the CA. Is that correct? Yes. And I, you know, to be honest, I don't remember exactly how I connected
1: up with them. I, I do remember there was sort of a trigger because I I, I remember this very clearly. Uh, I called uh, about, there was some specific issue or bill probably around, you know, 99, 1999, 2000, right around that time period. Uh, I can't remember what the specific, specific issue or bill was, but I remember calling my and I can't remember if it was one of my senators or my representative at the time, but, um, you know, I called to, you know, express my, um, uh, disagreement with the, the representatives, um, you know, take on the whole issue. And I remember this, you know, person who, who answered the phone said something about, um, well, if you don't live in the U S anymore, why do you even care? And, um, that just, um, you know, almost instantly just made my blood boil. I just, I just found it such an outrageous uh, thing to say, um, you know, especially now, you know, well, you know, in particular, in light of, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, whatever issue it was I was calling about, you know, which is, you know, the way that there are decisions being made and bills being passed in Washington that impact us and then, you know, they, they say like, well, what, you know, why do you even care? Um, and anyway, that, that experience, some, I, you know, again, this is a long time ago now, but, um, so I don't really recall all the details, but I, somehow I ended up reaching out to, um, well, I think I was trying to reach out to anyone I could, you know, any organization I could get involved with to see what I could do, how I could contribute, how I could help. And, um, for whatever reason, um, ended up, you know, with ACA and then um, um, ended up um, just becoming, you know, more and more deeply involved with with their work. Um, uh, it wasn't initially, you know, uh, I, I wasn't initially exclusively interested in the tax issues. You know, there were, the, at that time in particular, there was a lot of other issues around, you know, citizenship transmission in particular, uh, but other things. Um, but tax ultimately became, uh, I think, you know, partially because of my skill set, uh, partially because um, it is, you know, for obvious reasons, arguably the most significant issue uh, overseas Americans face, um, that that's where I just,
0: you know, focused my, my. Uh... So you that means that you've been focused on this for, would it be 20 years? 20, 20, 25 years. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, I think that bears worth repeating, mm-hmm. that, that you have been interested, focused, learning and understanding and seeing the evolution of this problem for 25 years. Uh, yes and no. I mean, since, you know, leaving ACA in 2016,
1: I have, you know, that, that sort of acti- activity has been a bit dormant. Um, uh, I, you know, I, I was, I was on Twitter, you know, I had a Twitter account for, for many years before I really started being active in it. And, um, so it was really only in the last few years that I've been really active on Twitter. Uh, you know, i I'm interested in an active with, um, you know, a number of areas, but, but obviously that's one of them. And so I, you know, that's obviously how you and I connected up because I do engage on that particular issue. And you know, that engagement has led perhaps to me being, you know, again, getting, you know, starting to get more involved, starting to follow uh, what's going on again, um, you know. Well,
0: without a doubt, you have some of the most perceptive and intelligent tweets out there. Okay. I mean, there's no question about that. I, I do want to thank you for bringing the voice of perspective, sanity, and reason to this that I think is, is very very difficult to find so so thank you for your interest and expertise Mm. uh, in this area which is considerable Mm. um now so you i presumably would agree with me if i were to say that the problem has gotten worse over the years um yeah i i think you know
1: i think there's been you know like and i can't rattle them all off off the top of my head right now the the, the big one obviously being you know FATCA and the higher act but there was a number of other um things there's been a few you know a few limited attempts to sort of bring some sanity and, and some reform you know for example the i can't remember exactly which piece of legislation um you know finally indexed uh-huh. the feie to and inf- you know because for for many many years it was it was it was stuck at a, at seventy thousand and this is you know one of the problems with a lot of these other provisions you know like F bar, uh, um, like um, the, um, um, so the, increased the the problems increase the S- you know, suspicious activity report obligation you know a lot of these things start you know come come from the Bank Secrecy Act which was what one thousand nine hundred and seventy one one thousand nine hundred and seventy two. So these thresholds, $10,000 is the threshold for a number of things, you know, for FBAR reporting, for for uh, sus- suspicious activity report filing, um, uh, et cetera, et cetera.
0: It's also the default penalty for a lot of omissions, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And,
0: and almost all of that goes
1: back to, you know, the Bank Secrecy Act, which again was 1970, 1971. And if we had indexed that, threshold to inflation, this would now be around $70,000. I mean, so so that's something that could be done without making a lot of changes, you know, just change the threshold. And and this would probably solve 99% of the people's problem, which was the, you know, the original intent of that legislation. It was not meant to impact average, ordinary. The other one, you know, is the the, um, the the currency declaration. You know, when you come into the U.S.,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Out of the U.S., you know, you you if you carry more than ten thousand cash, you have to declare it. You know, when that threshold was set in nineteen seventy, that was a a lot of money. You know, it, it's it's just it's it's but it's these days it's 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 not um it's not an unusual amount for an ordinary traveler to be carrying. I and I know that from personal experience. Um, you know, I, one of the Things, uh, experiences I had before my parents passed away was um, I traveled with the two of them. We did a really wonderful trip together uh, in 2013 to um, Vietnam and Cambodia, and um, you know, my my dad took I think you know $15,000 in cash with him. I mean, it's 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 not it's no longer a, a whole lot of money, uh, you know, for for a, you know especially for something like that a month long trip. And, um you know if if I hadn't told him dead you know make sure you you file that thing uh you know and he emailed him in the form he, you know he probably wouldn't have known and th- this happens you know with increasing frequency where where people who just you know just like the F bar they just don't know perfectly innocent they're not criminals they're not smugglers they just don't know um, uh, um and 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 you know and people find themselves having their cash seized. Um, well, so it's just interesting,
0: uh, you know, how inflation, right, when you have these things, right, how inflation, you know, brings more and more people into this. I don't know if you're aware of this or not. Are you aware that they've actually indexed F bar penalties to inflation? Yeah, they index the penalties, but not the threshold. Exactly. 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 So, so it's amazing. So they use inflation. This is yeah. obviously deliberate. Yeah. They use inflation to get to drag more people into the penalty net and then rely on inflation to increase the amount of the penalties. Right. Yeah. This is evil. Yeah. I mean,
1: and think about it. If it's not addressed, I mean, all right. So since 70, how uh, Gonna have to try to do math now? Uh, 72, uh, that was um, what, 50, 50 years, 50 years ago? 51 years ago. 51 years ago. So you know, you know, if it's gone seven x over the past 50 years, we, you know, it's reasonable to assume it'll go another seven x in the next, you know, so 50 years from now, you know, they're going to be, I mean, just the 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 size of the target, you know, the affected, you know, population is just going to explode. I mean, because it's going to mean, you know, in 1971 terms that you know the the threshold is now going to be a hundred dollars, which is you know ridiculous.
0: Um, well, and of course, it's, uh, the whole thing is ridiculous, actually, yeah. because, you know, as we were talking before, you know, hitting the record button here, that, I mean, if you were to look at the preamble, right, to uh, the whole F-bar rules and the statute, you know, they talk about this for the purpose of identifying money laundering, tax crimes, you know, and, and you know, the people are getting sucked into this, they Have nothing to do with that stuff, you know, quite yeah. honestly, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's as though you know the real purpose of this the penalty has become uh you know an end in itself or to put it another way i think that it should now be viewed as penalty over principle right penalty over yeah. principle yeah well
1: you know uh i mean another example of that is is the you know some of the things that are you know i mean they they they're finding it very difficult not to acknowledge that that you know um, um that um fatca has been a complete uh, and total failure um but you know one of the the few straws they can grasp at in in order to try and justify it is is this you know 14 million dollars which is you know as you know is just you know nothing in terms of federal revenues but even so you know they point to that 14 million as if this is you know, significant because they're, they're you know, I mean, what's what's the unspoken suggestion is, this is, um, uh, you know, represents tax evasion, uh, uncollected tax uh, tax revenue that would otherwise be uncollected, but it's not, it's almost all penalties. I mean, just like Bittner, he, Bittner does, you know, did not owe any tax, zero tax. There was, you know, he did not cheat, you know, everything his tax returns, were honest complete proper he was not you know doing tax evasion he just didn't file this one form that he didn't know about like most
0: people most taxpayers do not well it is very interesting uh you know when you look at the, all these uh, these f cases that um yeah i mean they don't it, they often don't seem to be associated with very much, never with tax evasion, Mm. you know, perhaps tax mistakes and that sort of thing. And, you know, I just, it just seems to me, okay, that this stuff has just basically become a fundraising mechanism.
1: Fundraising uh, people just, you know, certain functions or departments or individuals, you know, justifying their existence, um, you know uh, this whole you know you know classic thing of bureaucracy taking on a life of its own.
0: Um, well, you know the thing that got us started with this discussion perfect. today was that uh, you know Helen Bergroff, who, run, who uh, publishes American expat Finance, mm. ran a whole series of uh, articles right uh, on on the whole Bender decision and F.R. in general, mm. and. You know, they're good articles, but what was I found interesting about them was that they, you know, they really made an effort to get into the technicalities of this and you know how the issue is perform versus per count and this. But, you know, it struck me, and this is what I think got us talking was that, you know, I think the bigger issue here is that I mean everybody agrees that that the F bar laws are very difficult to understand, okay? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm and that they're being applied in, you know, what I think are incredibly inappropriate ways. But what I find incredible is the very fact that it had to go to the Supreme Court to clarify something that obviously should have been clarified, uh, you know, either through statute or administratively years ago, but also that how in the world can the American people be subjected To such draconian penalties based on laws that are so unclear. Yeah, well, you know, I don't have an
1: example off the top of my head, but I think it would not take that much effort. You will find many examples, I think, of where the IRS actually, and not just the IRS, some you know other other laws, they 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 actually don't, they actually want the ambiguity. Uh, they don't want to clarify it they don't want to give you safe harbor you know there's a lot of uh, you know law out there where they're they're deliberate you know like for example okay i'll think of one i I can't think of one example uh you know we we talked a little bit about um you know the currency declaration if you're bringing cash into or outside of the country now if you look at the uh, the rules around that, you know, it's it, you know obviously if it's U.S. currency that that's included. If it's foreign currency, then it's you know equivalent. You know, it's it's ten thousand dollars U.S. or equivalent in foreign currency. So you know, some of these things are, are are very clear. You know, if you have X number of pounds sterling and the current exchange rate is that, then you know, and it's over ten thousand, then then that's you know, there's no ambiguity there. Um, where there's a where there's some significant ambiguity though is around um gold. Uh, so, for example, it's it's never really been clarified. You know, if you have a a, a uh, what are these ones you have in Canada? The uh, maple leaf, uh, Canadian the gold the maple coins. leaf. Yeah, I, don't, gold, I don't know if the right, maple actually I believe have a face value of one dollar or ten or a hundred dollars or. No, I the, 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 the coins yeah. actually have a, a a face value on them obviously the, the the value of the gold is much more yeah than the face value okay yeah. um and if you if you read this you know very dense opaque language around decoration it's not really clear if if I've got a you know uh these these coins are what one, 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 one ounce of gold is that
0: is I think they are
1: Let's I, don't, I, don't
0: I don't know the answer, so let's assume. Anyway, the point it, is that the you gold understand gold you understand gold. where I'm going. You
1: understand where I'm going. It's it's not clear, um, and and, and then I think there is some language in there that says something very specifically about excluding bullion. All right, so what does that mean? Does that mean that that if I have a, a gold bar? that's uh you know that's worth um two hundred thousand dollars that i don't have to declare and they just they won't answer it they won't clarify it they they actually prefer uh the the ambiguity because yeah. it makes people
0: yeah I think
1: that's right. fearful and uncertain they don't they, they like they like people not knowing whether or not they're crossing the line or not and in in, in in the hopes that well i don't know i'm I'm imputing you know um uh, motivation here that you know i I can't necessarily prove but in my my belief and understanding they they actually prefer this ambiguity because it encourages people to err on the side of caution which means you know err in their favor i don't know is this is this coin which has a a face value of a hundred dollars and but it's it's an ounce of gold that's at current prices is worth you know, twenty five hundred dollars. Uh you know, the treasury won't clarify that, so but I'm gonna I'm gonna assume it's the it's the higher value just to be safe.
0: Right. Therefore, you know, therefore encouraging the principal report early, report often, report everything, and by God, keep a record of what you report. Americans are reporters, aren't they? They're all they're all reporting machines. Yeah. Or at least they're required to be. Yeah. I mean, and that's actually
1: one of the things, you know, I very specifically do because I run into ambiguity, uh, you know, very often in um, in, uh, you know, some of these tax issues. And I, I, I what I will very often do is a- attach a- a- an explanatory statement to my return saying these are these, you know, based on, you know, publication Five Two One. I assume that when you said this, that you meant that and therefore, you know, based on that assumption, I've you know, calculated, you know, this. Um, so therefore, if they ever come back to me and say, no, 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 that's not what it means. I can say, look, well, I filed, you know, when I filed this two years ago, I put that explanation in there. You didn't challenge it then. You got to accept it now, you know.
0: Uh, it's, it's a terrible problem. But I think that this is what happens when you have a legal culture that mm-hmm. in a very real sense presumes impropriety or guilt Mm -hmm. and and you know requires people to prove the exception to avoid punishment right exactly and you know so much it seems to me of uh the culture of u.s law right seems to operate with a presumption of penalty right which makes it uh I think seem almost normal, right? You know, to assess these penalties and and you know, I mean, let's let's look at Bidner here for a minute, right? So, you know, people are saying victory, victory, Bidner won. He only got a fifty thousand dollars penalty. Mm-hmm. I mean, excuse me, why did he get a penalty at all, right?
1: Yeah, I mean. You know, there's there's a number of, of um, dimensions to that. You know, one is as I as I've said, um, uh, where there is where there is not ambiguity is there's no there's not you know there's no ambiguity that the IRS is not obliged to apply the maximum penalty possible. They have quite a bit bit of discretionary authority under the law.
0: Yeah, and l- let me just pause you there for a second, Greg, because I want to make it clear for any listeners here. That if you look at uh section 5321 which is the penalty provision it says may impose a penalty exactly. may impose a penalty not is required may impose a penalty right
1: exactly and and, and not i mean and, and it's not just a binary you know option you know like a penalty or not they they also have the you know ability to um well, for, I mean, there's a couple of things. One is they they have the the ability to the, the discretionary authority to decide willful versus non willful, and then even you know, irrespective of of that particular uh, decision, you know, they don't always have to. Uh, there's nothing that obliges them to assess the maximum possible penalty, and you know, it's not just that they're always seem to be trying to. Uh, Apply the maximum possible. They're willing to fight tooth and nail all the way to the Supreme Court in in defense of that decision. I mean, why? It just doesn't make any sense.
0: Well, that's why. That's why I wanted to have you on the podcast to ask you that question. Why?
1: I think it's. I think it's their culture. I think it's the organizational culture. I think they. You know. I, I mean, this isn't just you know Americans abroad who uh, who have you know raised some concerns. Uh, you know about the IRS and 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 their culture, and um, you know it, it's very clear it's made been made clear. You know, in particular from you know some of the whistleblowers who have have talked about some of the things that have gone on in that agency. That you know there is a culture that that you know views taxpayers as the enemy, uh, a bunch of cheaters, uh, liars, um, chiselers. Uh, they're all trying to get away with something. Um, you know the I mean the other aspect of it is you know the, the way that they always seem to target the the weakest you know they're not they don't go after despite you know his claims that he's been under um audit uh they tend not to go after people like Trump if you um I, I don't know if you've seen this you know example of this map where they've you know they've done looked at per capita not per capita but you know um, poverty rates by county in the US and then and then overlay that with um with uh, audit rates by the IRS and it, and, you know, it's like the poorer the county, the higher, you know, the higher the audit rate um, because poor people are, are, uh, are easy targets, you know, rich people lawyer up and argue and challenge and.
0: Well, I think that's right. You know, when I first got interested in FR, um, one of the things that struck me right at the beginning, and I still have this perception is, you know, I'm amazed at the people who are over, who are like over 80, over the age of 80, yeah, who, you know, seem to get targeted by this stuff. I mean, it's extraordinary, right? It's as though, uh, you know, and these are people who I, you know, it's not clear to me that they're really trying to do anything wrong at all. Right. It's just sort of this reflexive, Oh, my God! Here's somebody with a foreign account. Let's punish him sort of thing.
1: well, that that was the other point I was going to make. I mean, I think there is definitely a, a big element of 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 xenophobia. I mean, uh, there's this mentality in the u s um, you know, that that any uh, anything foreign is 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 somehow, you know, inherently suspect, um, and, and you know, and they, they throw that where, you know, it's the foreign, you know, we don't think, we don't think of these things as a foreign account. This is my account at my bank down the street, you know, but in the, you know, in the mentality, not, not just the IRS, but, uh, I think, uh, amongst, you know, people on Capitol Hill and, and even, you know, to a large degree amongst the, the, you know, the electorate amongst the voters um you know they they they're deeply suspicious
0: americans are deeply suspicious of anything foreign so they, they just well, why think is, why do you think that is what is it about the american psyche that that's been of, right. right yeah right. no i mean that's I been part it. of
1: yeah i i i'm not sure i mean it's um um you know this insularity um uh you know is you know can be extreme i mean um, you know, I mean, you I, I don't know, I can't think of any other examples off the top of my head right now, but I mean it's, you know, it's I mean, you see it all the time and just the the I don't know, just the way that, you know, I mean when, I, when you when I read, you know, an article in an American newspaper, I'm I'm uh often struck by, you know, um language that sort of makes certain assumptions about you know, America, about foreigners, about, um, this sort of thing. It's, it's deeply embedded
0: in the culture. And I mean, do you think that, for example, in the Bittner descent, uh, do you find some of this embedded in the Bittner descent? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, just the,
1: the, the, yeah the one that I, off the top of my head, the one that, one of the things that's, you know, struck me was this, you know, re- referring to Bittner you know Bittner is I can't remember the exact wording but it was something along the lines I think it was in the very first paragraph you know something along the lines of Bittner was an American citizen it's like well he's actually a dual citizen and and and, and the and the other citizenship uh you know uh, doesn't seem to matter and um uh, can't remember now but there was a few other things particularly in the dissent that just you know I think were reflective of some of this. Um...
0: Well, I, I think that I think that some of it also was that, you know, the penalties were assessed for years that he was living in Romania, right? Not not in the United States. And I I may be wrong. I haven't now read it for a while, but I don't believe that sort of the opening recitals of, of presumption of criminality. You know, there's no other way to put it, right? Yeah. Yep. In the opening recitals uh there I don't even think it was a mansion that he was living in Romania yeah yes yeah yeah
1: yeah, yeah. he had it yeah he has a a bank account in Romania i mean you can you
0: know you can just yeah, see yeah I, I mean you know I, hey hey wasn't he living i mean you know it was really uh yeah
1: you know, no the, i mean that even you know i mean sometimes shocked myself by by defending finding hearing myself defending him but you know I remember that uh, that came up with um Trump when they finally you know got his tax returns and there are a lot of people who got all outraged that I mean first of all they said he had a secret bank account in China. You
0: know
1: it's like, he he, if it was he's a head of a multinational corporation. So obviously you know China is a place almost any big multinational is doing business, and if you're doing business, you're going to have an account there. And finally, if it was reported on his tax return, obviously it's not secret. And there's just this, you know, desire to, to, you know, attribute, uh, you know, some nefarious intent to, you know, especially when it's, not, I mean, foreign is bad enough. China is just you know, even worse. Even worse. despite the fact that, you know, most of this uh, iPhone is, is, uh, you know, manufactured, probably manufactured there, so. Hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, you know, this is because, this is why I, you know, initially, the moment, you know, I was sitting there and somebody emailed me the Bittner decision, you know, and it had been out for 20 minutes, and you know, what did I do? I looked at the result quickly. and thought, oh, good. You know, this is a win for Bidner. And my initial reaction was this is a win. But then when I started to dissect it and actually read what was going on, I've actually completely changed my view on it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, although it was five to four in favor of the uh, per form penalty as opposed to per count, I find it deeply disturbing that only two judges, Justices Gorshius and Jackson, were willing to extend the discussion into the general insanity of this. You know, and shouldn't people at the very least be entitled to know what it is they were supposed to do to comply with the law? Yeah. And,
1: you know, yeah. seven out that of was, the- That was a key part, part of that, you know, just talking about the, you know, the the ambiguity and the fact that, you know, even the- you know, even the government we, we didn't seem to be entirely clear on that, just what. Well,
0: <laughs> I don't know if you listened to the hearing or not. If you haven't, I'll send you the audio clip on the thing. I think you might find it interesting. But it was very clear that uh, the, the nine justices and the government lawyer uh, could, could were struggling with, with what this meant. No question about it. I mean, I think Justice Alino at one point just said out, right, look, you know, and yet the IRS is fighting tooth and nail to construe this in the most punitive possible way to impose the maximum possible penalty that it can under the most punitive interpretation that it can imagine, right? I mean, that is a simple fact. That was the whole basis of their of the IRS appeal, and you know, I'm going to ask you a question, Greg. Why would they do this? Yeah, I mean,
1: it's a good question. Uh, I mean, as as I said, you know, it, it 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 certainly is not a decision that that can be justified on the basis of the legislative intent of the. Of, of or the regulatory objective you know of, of the either the reporting requirement or the or the penalties for um for failure to to meet the reporting requirement i mean this is all you know bank or act you know as we've said you know it's it's it was there to to you know combat things like money laundering or terror financing etc cetera, etc cetera. and um you know it, the penalties are there to encourage people to report. I mean, this guy did report. Um, I, I mean, if they, if if are in other words, I think a key point here, you know, one of the things we've talked about is that is the the general ignorance amongst you know the tax public of of the obligation to file. So if what the IRS, if if their bona fide objective. Was to increase compliance, to get more people to file, to get collect more data, because that somehow assists them in their ultimate, you know, higher objective of, you know, combating crime. Then that objective would be far better served by, uh, you know, some sort of information campaign or, um, you know, incentive than it would be by these draconian penalties, which, you know, I I, I mean, it's hard to avoid the impression that they actually, they they actually prefer that as few people, that there there is limited awareness because that maximizes their ability to impose penalties. So, which in turn suggests that the penalty itself is the, at least in the the minds of the the agents enforcing this law is is the actual goal, not the you know ostensible goal of encouraging oh. compliance, providing the government with more data, which in turn enables them to be more effective at com- combating certain.
0: Well, it's interesting because I think another way of putting that might be that in reality, an FBAR that is filed has no value whatsoever. But an unfiled F-bar, think of the penalty opportunities, Mm -hmm. right? In other words, you know, from the point of view of the U.S. Treasury, it's only the unfiled F-bar that really even has value. Yeah, I mean. That is is deeply disturbing.
1: To be honest, uh, I'm not even aware that the government is you, you know they you know they collect i don't know how many of these things are filed every year uh i don't know how much you know how many terabytes of data that that translates to i am not aware of there being any you know methodical or effective use of that data to you know to to serve the ends for which supposedly it's 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 being collected i mean uh, i've certainly it's hard to prove a negative so maybe somebody is doing something but i'm not aware of you know i've never seen a news story for example of a of a money laundering or smuggling ring being uncovered because you know somebody at the treasury sifted through you know did data mining of this f bar data and was able to figure out that somebody you know I, i just
0: Well, you know, it seems to arise in the context of, um, you know, either as part of an audit or as a number of these people uh, whose names appear in these cases were, you know, people who tried to use the voluntary disclosure programs to come into compliance and, you know, got, got hammered, you know, these, with these willful FBAR penalties. But I mean, some of the stories are, are, abs- are absolutely shocking. I mean, I think Bittner's bad, but, you know, one of the most outrageous ones, uh, if not the most outrageous, that I think I've yet seen is this Monica Toth thing. Mm. You know, this uh, 80-something-year-old uh, a grandmother. And this is the one
1: who inherited this uh, Swiss Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. well, it was gifted to her. Yes, right. By okay. her husband, and, you know, and she's you know you know as i made the point before i mean the money came from Argentina and was never subject to u.s taxation or anything it's not like you know we're talking about a few million dollars that the u.s ever had taxing rights to Mm -hmm. and it gets deposited for her in the swiss bank account her transgression is overwhelmingly just a a failure to report the account right I don't know for sure that there was no tax noncompliance. I don't know, but whatever's going on there, it's clearly, I think, you know, miles away from the state regulatory purpose of that statute. Yep. Uh, and, and, and I think that this is, this is deeply, deeply disturbing because, you know, the other point I would make is that this, bar these FR penalty provisions make general civil forfeiture provision mm-hmm. seem like a five-year-old in the sandbox. Mm-hmm. Because at least in civil forfeiture, you know, it's, it's the asset that's being forfeited. Mm-hmm. But with these bar penalties, you know, we have penalties that exceed the value of the accounts, no problem. I mean, this is amazing stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Why do the American people put up with this? Um, well, you
1: know, one of the concerns I have is the, is the, is the manner in which, you know, these law enforcement bodies are, you know, are, have all have lobbying arms and, uh, they're, you know, they they use taxpayer money to fund lobbying efforts. So they, these guys are on the Hill day in, day out talking to these people. And, you know, they're, you know, it's, it's quite clear that, you know, their objective is to make their job easy. That's that's all they're interested in. They don't you know, they don't care about, you know. How it performs, how it enhances performance against the stated, you know, objective of of the legislation. They just want to make their job easy. Um, One of the ways they, you know, make their job easy is they, um, you know, they often, you know, lobby for for things being defined so broadly that, you know, nearly everyone is guilty. Which means that whenever they get someone in their sights that they want to nail for something for whatever reason, um, you know, you know, since since almost everyone is guilty, they can, you know, that that they always have that tool there available. It just just makes you know easy
0: for them. Um, Trivial problem. Well, you know, and of course these things uh, are you know are, are a special problem for Americans abroad because so many of them are rooted in these you know, this notion that anything that's foreign is deserving of punishment, right? Um, I mean, what do you think of the prospects of change in the laws? And uh, I mean, what, what's somebody supposed to do here other than renounce US citizenship? Um,
1: I don't really, you know, at some point, but but no point soon at least in my view um you know some of these things will become so draconian and burdensome that they'll really start to have a real impact on uh american competitiveness and you know people will 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 start to squawk about that because you know they they basically won't have any choice but to try to address it but you know, until it gets to that, you know. So, in other words, it's going to get a lot. In my view, at least, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. It, it's going to really have to get to a point, and it will eventually. Um, I think you know, get to a, a point where it's a crisis, and um, I think then it'll get addressed. But but probably crisis well, is a
0: penalty. Can you imagine?
1: Well, it's more than just you know the penalty. It's you know, it's like you you when you you know, there there. It's 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 difficult. Um. As an american company you know well either as an individual or as a company to to compete i mean you know for example i spent you know i spent many years uh you know working in the middle east um in places like you know doha and dubai and riyadh and um uh you know as you probably may be aware you know something like you know 80 percent of their population and their workforce is is foreign uh you know they're they they bring in the you know Qatar, you know, was very well known for the, you know, the the attention it got around the the construction workers who, you know, were building the the World Cup stadiums who, you know, largely came from places like, you know, India and and Nepal and Sri Lanka and Bangladesh. Uh, You know, you've got, you know, engineers coming from certain places, you know, you've got a lot of service personnel coming from places like the Philippines. You've got a lot of management coming from places like, uh, you know, Europe and Australia, New Zealand and Canada. And the U.S., but I mean, for example, um, New Zealand. How many people in New Zealand? Like five, five million or something. You know, you you will you will run into more New Zealanders, you know, in management positions in Dubai than you will Americans. You know, so so a country of five million is providing, you know, more managers than a country of three hundred and thirty thirty million. Um, Because, uh, you know, this whole um, framework just makes it very difficult, um, uh, you know, for Americans to compete there. I remember, you know, doing doing an interview and being being offered, uh, you know, uh, a certain salary. And I said, that's not really going to be enough for me or something along those lines. And, you know, this, you know. HR woman, you know, responds with, "Oh yes, but it's you know, it's all tax free here, so it's you know, even though even though it's it's only 100 150,000, it's it's as if you're making like 250,000 because there's no tax." And I'm like, "That may be true for 90% of the people you interview, but it's not true for me because I still got to pay tax." Um so you know, it really is, you know, on that individual level level of hurting American competitiveness, but it's also hurting it, you know, because you know, think about it. If you're an American exporter and you want to send someone to, you know, we want to develop the, you know, the Australian market. This is we think this is we want to send Bob there for three years. You know, at first, Bob thinks, Ah, oh, living in Sydney. Oh, this sounds great. You know, three years. The family will love it. You know, let me go. Then he starts looking at the, you know, the, the consequences of 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 what he's going to be. Uh, subjected to or, or denied. And, um, or, or maybe he does go. And after a few years, he's like, wait a minute, I can't do this. I can't, I can't contribute to my, I, my IRA. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm locked out of this, you know, you know, there's this whole, you know, range of things that that make it, you know, make it difficult for him. And and, and maybe he and his family love living in Sydney, but, you know, in the end, they, they just decide they they can't afford it because the, you know because of the the um, tax consequences mm-hmm. so that's just going to get worse as you know especially as the' as the as you know economies you know globalization is going to continue it's well, going we to- also have
0: the problem of, of, of uh awareness of foreign uh, co- uh companies right of the management that they don't want to deal with Americans right yes
1: yeah well that's the other thing of course with this whole F bar thing you know you need well as you know as I told you, I, you know, deliberately keep my shareholding in in this, you know, Singapore ent- entity at b- below ten percent so because if I was to increase it, you know, it's not only me, but it, it's 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 like now suddenly this, you know, I, I mean if I was to go up to 10%, suddenly, you know, we have all these reporting obligations. Suddenly, instead of paying, you know, um, $800 a year uh, to file returns, now we got to pay, be paying $8,000 a year. And, you know, my partners are going to be looking at me like, thanks, Greg, that was, that was yeah. that was great to you. I mean, I'm the only American there. I mean, you know, it's like we get, you know, one Norwegian, one Frenchman, one uh, Swede, one, well, maybe there's two Swedes. A uh, one German, you know. So, you know, none of the rest of you know the the partners in that entity, you know, um, have to deal with that. So, you know, we're we're toxic. Um, uh, you know, I'm sure you've heard you know many stories about um, you know because the F bar applies to not only when you have a um, well the the example I like to use because I I think it 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 it, it drives things home for people. You know, I remember when I just happened to be on Capitol Hill uh, when um, Benedict stepped down as Pope and they were considering a number of different people, including, you know, the guy who ultimately became the Argentine who ultimately became Pope Francis, but they were also, you know, there was discussions of, um, from memory, I think it was a some bishops in, in Chicago or somewhere. And I just said, you know, They will never make an American pope because as soon as you put an American pope, he's got signatory authority over all those Vatican accounts. The Vatican is not going to turn over its information uh, to the U.S. Treasury. So just, you know, making an American pope is just off the table. And I I think not many people. I I think
0: you're absolutely right. And I I also think, I, I mean, I feel, personally perhaps overly strongly but extremely strongly that no uh a member of a legislative body or the executive branch of any non-us government should ever be allowed to be a u.s citizen i think there needs to be an absolute bar on it uh, a few years ago uh, there was an election in canada a conservative leader mm-hmm. Uh, his name was Andrew Scheer, Turned out in the middle of the election that it was discovered that he was, was dual American, a dual yeah. citizen. Yeah, yeah. And you know that made people feel uncomfortable. I think, right? Uh, but I don't think that people fully appreciated the problem of this. And it's not just you know an issue of reporting requirements; an issue of the threats of the U S regulatory regime, you know, being able to be brought down on somebody like that. I mean, I think it's a very serious problem. And yeah. frankly, I think that there, there ought to be a separate, uh, you know, it's interesting that, uh, you know, in Canada, the part of the constitution, the charter of rights gives every Canadian citizen the right to run in public office and serve in the government sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're, you know, this is subject to reasonable provisions, but I think there needs to be a legislative provision in Canada because of the number of dual citizens absolutely prohibiting any member of any legislative body in Canada from holding American citizenship.
1: Yeah, there was a, uh, I don't know if you were aware, you know, there was a, this uh, candidate in um, Gambia for president and uh, yeah was barred from from running because because she she wanted to actually renounce but because of the covid thing and the shutdown she she couldn't get a renunciation appointment so she was barred from um you know running for president you know, you know the, the other concern i have uh, that i think is uh, that i haven't really heard discussed um you know is the way that uh you know uh, we talked a little bit about, about the irs you know always likes to pick on the weak um and um uh no better example of that in my mind is, you know, the, the opposite side of it is the way that if you're wealthy and powerful enough, none of this applies to you. So it's, it's, it's fundamentally, uh, and inherently, uh, unfair. Uh, and the, the my favorite illustration of that is, um, the, uh, late king of Thailand, King Bumadal, I believe his name was, his coronation name anyway, uh, whom you may know, uh, I believe at the time he died, he was considered, um, the wealthiest man in the world, I think, you know, subsequently overtaken by Bezos or maybe the Sultan of Brunei. I can't remember. But anyway, he was certainly he was there there. the top five, let's say, worldwide, you know, $50 billion plus, maybe more. Uh, one of the various wealthiest people in the world. But he was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts, because his parents uh, were there, his father was a, a, a medical student studying uh, at, uh, I believe, Harvard Medical School, if I'm not mistaken. And so he, you know, legally was an American citizen. But, you know, of course, the IRS is not going to go after the king of Thailand and, and try to get the king of Thailand to, to uh, you know, assess a penalty of 50% of account value against the king of Thailand. It's just, it, you know, it's just politically not going to happen. But, yeah. but if, if he's exempted, why shouldn't everybody be exempted? I mean, that's just. But fundamentally he like a bit like an
0: unsettled American to me.
1: What? You yeah, like yes, 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 very American. much so. Very much so. But you know, but but this has been the IRS position that you know, you know, it, it's 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 your it's the it's the accidental circumstances of your birth that determine citizenship. You know, it's 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 not like you have to you know, apply for a passport or you have to recognize the citizenship or accept it or something along those lines. You're born there. I mean, you know, it's, I think it's been pointed out that there's only something like 17 countries in the world that have, you know, um, jurisprudence, you know, birthright, you know, citizenship. It's definitely a minority. I don't know if it's 17. Yeah, it's, but it's I believe it's I believe it's 17. Um, anyway, that number sticks out in my mind. It's It's somewhere around there. Uh, And there's also, um, of course, only two countries in the world that tax based on citizenship, the U.S. and Eritrea, and of course only one country in the world that does both, and that's the United States. And that's- That's right. Well, that's right. But I would also add to that,
0: that Eritrea does not have birth, you know, citizenship conferred- That's what I'm saying. So so, so
1: the U.S. is the only one that has both the Jurisoli citizenship and-
0: the uh, citizenship-based taxation. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, or to put it another way, U.S. tax residency is really a function of circumstances of birth, yeah, not a, a function of, of circumstances of life, right? So if you look at it that way, right, um, all of the rest of the world that has residency-based taxes, sure, there's debate about how you define residence, right. but... But, okay, but however it's defined, it's based on circumstances of life and not on circumstances of birth. Yes. Right. So, I mean, it really, really, you know, viewed in that way. I mean, I think that Americans would be shocked, appalled, and really bothered by the fact that simply by virtue of being born in the United States, they're essentially U.S. property for life, even if they leave, Mm -hmm. unless they were now. So it brings me to my last question. Is there any hope? Or do people have to renounce? As
1: I said, um, you know, I do believe that this is having an increasingly negative impact on American competitiveness, and you know wh- whether or not you know Congress and and you know um, you know influencers or policymakers are are going to uh recognize that I'm 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 you know it's it's difficult to say but um you know if and when that is recognized um there there may be change but you know uh, as I said I I I see it getting worse before it gets better yeah i mean i really think it's going to have to get to a crisis it's going to going to have to get to a point where you know something there's real significant impact on, you know, America's balance of trade or, um, competitiveness or, um, something along those lines that, that people, you know, be, you
0: know, recognize that this is unsustainable. Um, is it a problem for America that, uh, people, you know, that more and more people are going to be, I think, forced into renunciation? Um,
1: I mean... I don't think, um, you know, there there are, you know, the, the quote unquote accidental Americans, you know, will, will many of them at least are, you know, quick to tell you they don't really care. Uh, I don't think that's representative of most people, uh, uh who live abroad or even most people who renounce. I think most people who renounce, uh, if you listen to some of their stories, I, certainly I would agree with that. Um, I am not I am not doing this with any enthusiasm or um you know um you know indifference towards it I mean there's um there's a number of reasons for most people why they they, they like uh, their American citizenship um and you know maybe one of them being they'd like to go you know think think of think, of, think again think of the opportunities we're losing people people who've spent many years Living and working overseas, acquiring a lot of very valuable experience that is of great use to uh, an American company that's trying to compete overseas, and maybe they go back. To, they're ready to go back to the U.S., but if they've renounced, it's it's you know it's 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 you know that makes it that makes it much more difficult uh, for them to do that. Um, so, you know, I I I, I don't think. I I do think that that even amongst renunciants, I mean, I've heard some of these stories. You know, I mean, some people some people are almost in tears over it. I mean, there's, you know, there's a there's a very strong emotional attachment um, that they they continue. um, You know, and and even after I renounce, you know, I will still feel, you know, American in my heart, Um, um, and I'm still, you know, um, a believer in. You know, in the you know the values that you know that 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 you know jump they come to mind when you hear the term the word American or American values, um, um, and I, I think it's um, ignorant to fail to recognize. Um, you know, uh, I mean that you know when you start having uh, you start having your citizenship identified as toxic i think that damages the american brand it damages you know um our standing in the world um uh you know it's 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 it is in my mind at least unquestionably a negative uh facet of of citizenship and um i don't think that's good for uh for america for stateside americans or you know overseas americans i think it's it, it harms i think it harms you know all of us
0: i think it does i mean it's look people are now renouncing because they want to they're renouncing because they feel they have to
1: yeah i mean it's you know i can't afford this you know i mean you know my tax preparation fees are, are more than i'm going to be collecting in social security
0: <laughs> no i i believe me i get it i get it and i feel your pain i don't have any choice i mean I think that I think that's exactly right. I don't think that, I you know, I think there are some people who maybe have the luxury for it to be to, the the luxury of the option of retaining American citizenship, but I think for the average person, I think they're just being forced out. Yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, there's and there's as I said, there's many stories of that. I mean, you know, there, I mean, there's people who. You know, if they don't pronounce, they're going to be denied uh, a, a promotion they really want. There's uh, people whose marriages are going to come unraveled uh, unless they renounce. There's, um, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of things that that, that go on. Uh, people, that, you know, people like me who get, you know, um, uh,
0: you know the the they, they just can't afford it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I, I I believe me, I totally get it, Greg. I really, really. I want to thank you uh, for your willingness to, you know, come on and talk about this stuff with me today. I mean, not only uh, you know it's been a really heartfelt discussion, but I mean, you know, you're such an incredible wealth of knowledge and experience on this stuff, and I'm I'm so glad that uh, at least there's the opportunity for people to listen to this podcast, whether they do or they don't.
1: Yeah, well, and to the extent uh, anyone found anything I've had to say useful or helpful, I'm I'm grateful to have shared it. Um, it's been a privilege talking to you. Oh, it's,
0: it's absolutely it's absolutely awesome stuff, and um, I hope that uh, certainly, uh, definitely, if I come next, well, I'm sure at some point I'll be in Prague. Look us up. Oh, you're staying in your hostel. www.brickhostel.com on- on- yeah. Do you have we to call bunk beds though, like a single room or something? We
1: have private rooms as well.
0: We awesome! Sign room. me up for that. I'm not yep. quite yep. ready. Very nice. I'm going <laughs> to bunk bed. But all right. Um, so actually, so Greg is available for more insight at Twitter. Uh, he's a, uh, I'd say, a regular, a participant in the discussions, and the Twitter handle is Blog and Dog. I agree, right? I think. B L O G and let us yeah. let get it from you, okay? B L B L O G. No, no, and not on. B L O G N D O G. Yeah, blog and dog. dog. Okay, that's how I remember it. Anyway, uh, so definitely uh, worth engaging with Greg on uh, Twitter and uh, certainly following him and absolutely, actually. Meeting Greg is probably a good enough reason to visit Prague. And if you're going to be there anyway, definitely many good reasons to come to Prague. Absolutely. Listen, thanks a lot. And um, I have a feeling maybe we'll pick this up again as this whole thing continues to develop. Indeed. All right.
1: Thanks, John. Take care.